Let's, uh, let's give, give glory, to God, glory to God here. But um, yeah, for, uh, for those of you who are not here in the first service, I did introduce the ministry a little bit. I'll, I'll, I'll run through that again. Creation Ministries International, if you've never heard of CMI before, we are obviously a Christian ministry uh, and we are an information ministry. There's a lot of great Christian ministries all around the world that do wonderful work. There's humanitarian aid ministries, there's Bible teaching ministries, there's missions organizations, obviously all kinds of great ministries that are worthy of our support and prayer. And we're an information ministry. Our role in the body of Christ is we want to get faith building information out into the church in an area where many Christians struggle in their faith. And that's Genesis 1 to 11. Those first 11 chapters, a lot of questions people have about those, what happens there. You have creation, the fall into sin, the flood of Noah, the Tower of Babel, and then Genesis 12, you get to Abraham, and it gets pretty normal after that. But Genesis 1 to 11, a lot of people have questions. And one of the things that makes us a little bit different than your average Christian group is, as far as we know, of all the Christian ministries around the world, we employ the most PhD scientists. Makes us a little bit different than your average Christian group. I'm not a scientist, in case you're wondering. My background is electronics. My education, my professional background is electronics. I worked in that uh, very happily for over a decade before coming on board with the ministry. But I work with scientists. And the reason we have the scientists on board is to do the research and, and do the heavy lifting, in a sense, for us, for the church, to answer the kinds of questions that come out of Genesis 1 to 11 and the creation evolution issue that often do involve some science. That's why we have the scientists on board. So I was born in Kitchener, Ontario, lived there all my life. Here's a picture of my family. And uh, uh, I'm the CEO of the Canadian office. And uh, that started as a room in my home in late 98. So we're having fun there in Kitchener. Um, again, the office, uh, there, there's seven offices around the world. Um, more PhD scientists than any Christian ministry. We have an information department that subscribes to all the major scientific publications out there. We keep tabs on the latest scientific discoveries so that our speakers and our scientists can stay informed. Uh, we, we keep tabs on that. And we have speakers. I'm one of eight speakers. I'm not the only one in Canada. We have eight speakers constantly traveling across the country getting this information out into the church. That's what we want to do. It's not just, hey, let's do a bunch of research. Let's get the answers out into the church where it needs to be. And to do that, we have speakers, obviously, like this. And there's, you, you saw some resources back there. We also have a website. Our website looks something like this. Um, there's over 10,000, actually over 11,000 articles on that website. It's a massive online database of free information for the church, for you. If you have questions about creation, evolution, or something, there's a, there's a search window in the upper right-hand corner. You can type in whatever your question might be up here. Um, you know, how do dinosaurs fit into the Bible? How did Noah get all the animals on the ark? Where'd the water come from for the flood? Was there an ice age? What about cavemen? What about uh, apemen? What about radiometric dating? How come we're seeing light from galaxies that are hundreds of millions of light years away if God didn't create that long ago? And, and, uh, and where did Cain get his wife if he wasn't able? And, uh, and other questions like that. And you might have some questions like that. This is a great place to go to get answers to questions like that. Now, I apologize, the website name is really long and hard to remember, so I thought maybe we could all say this together. It's creation.com, ready? Creation.com. Okay, it's not long and hard to remember. It's the easiest web address that you could think of if you're looking for information on creation on, uh, on what they used to call the information superhighway. Another tool that we have 
to get information out. So we've got speakers, we've got resources, we've got a website. We've got an email news. And in our email news, we try to give you the Christian perspective on the latest scientific discoveries. Because you all know that whenever there's some new scientific discovery, it's always delivered to us with a nice little evolutionary packaging, right? Here's how this fits with evolution. The atheism has nothing to do with God or the Bible. We try to give you the Christian perspective. Here's an example of one that went out a number of years ago. Uh, it involved the discovery of a hadrosaur dinosaur. You can see an artist reconstruction here of what that critter looks like. It wasn't the first one that was found. This was another specimen. This picture behind it here, that's taken through a microscope. That's some soft and stretchy tissue that they were pulling out of its unfossilized bones. An evolutionist dated that animal to have died 80 million years ago. We thought that was interesting. Maybe you think that's interesting too. How can it be 80 million years old if there's still soft tissue in the bones, right? Something doesn't quite line up. That's the kind of thing that we do in our email news. And if that sounds interesting to you, there's some sign-up sheets that look like this. And if we could start those around at this point, that would be great. Um, you know what to do. Put your name and email address on there and I'll make sure you get on that list. It's a simple, free little tool that we have to get this information out. And then you can share those with your kids or grandkids Forward them on to them who might be asking questions, struggling in their faith, and they, they want some answers and so on. So emails are a good way to do that. So I'm not going to pause for that. You can yes, just circulate those through the aisles there, and we'll get on with our, with our topic here this morning. I've sort of titled this morning's message, Biblical Creation, Science, and Your Spiritual Growth. Now you might have expected those first two, right? Yeah, Biblical Creation and Science, seeing as how I'm from CMI, uh, but what... Spiritual growth? Really? It's, it's kind of like one of these things doesn't belong. Uh, but uh, <laughs> actually, let's start with spiritual growth. Let's start there. And, uh, and, and uh, we'll, we'll get to the other two in, in, uh, in a little while anyway. So what is spiritual growth? And we want kind of a dictionary definition of it. Spiritual growth is the process of becoming more like Jesus Christ. Right? Very basic. We grow spiritually. Uh, spiritual growth is characterized by increasingly living lives that conform to the truths in God's word. So as we, as we grow spiritually, our lives will, will, will see more victory over patterns of sin, that kind of thing. We'll have greater discernment. Charles Spurgeon, the great Victorian era preacher, he said, he said discernment isn't necessarily knowing the difference between right and wrong. It's knowing the difference between right and almost right. That's where we want to get spiritual growth. That's a, that's a benefit of spiritual growth, get greater discernment. And we'll have a more solid faith. There's lots of falsehoods out there. If we know the truth, we'll have a more solid faith. And think about this. Is this optional? Is spiritual growth optional? You might think, well, I've been a Christian for a long time, and I'm comfortable where I am. Is, it, is that what the Bible, can we stop? From, from a biological perspective, if you're not growing, you're dead. But from a spiritual perspective, Peter, the Apostle Peter, makes a very interesting statement here about how we are to desire to continue to grow closer to our Lord and Savior. Believers are to desire it. And he uses a very interesting, I think, analogy. He says this, like newborn babies, we have a couple of them here, I understand, long for the pure milk of the word. The pure scripture, so that by it, by the pure milk of the word, you may grow in respect to salvation. We've had five newborn babies in our household, and if, you, if you're familiar with newborn babies and their desire for milk, you, you know this. 
Babies don't wake up in the middle of the night, 2 a.m. or something, and, and reason to themselves, oh, I, I won't scream for milk now. I'll, I'll wait till 7 or maybe 7.30 before I wake my poor mother. I'll let her get her sleep. It, that, that's, it's not like, it's like, I want milk and I want it now, right? Isn't that an interesting analogy? That's the analogy that Peter uses for how we, as Christ followers, are to desire to grow closer to our Lord and Savior. It's a continuous process until we're glorified, until we die. So, interesting, thinking about spiritual growth. And here, here's another verse that we could throw out there, just kind of introducing and thinking about spiritual growth. Romans 12, 2, famous verse. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. We're to think differently as Christians. We're to think based on truth, on God's word. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So don't conform to the world, conform to Christ, and train your mind to be able to discern God's will. Those are all aspects of spiritual growth. So how does all of this relate to our subject this morning, creation evolution? Because I want to I talk about the origins debate, creation evolution, in the context of spiritual growth. And we'll, you're probably not getting the connection. We'll get there in a few minutes. We'll keep adding to this here. Let's, let's look at one more text of scripture here in Ephesians 4. He gave, God, God gave to the church the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. So God gave to the church, and even here your, your local, local church body, people with different abilities. And as, as, far as, as far as we're concerned, creation ministries and, and other ministries and so on, well, we might fit into that teacher's category. or a ministry that teaches on a particular area of scripture, creation. So why did, why did God do that? To equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ, spiritual growth. So all these different people, we are to grow together as a body of Christ, grow toward our Lord and Savior, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Be nice to have more unity, wouldn't it? What, what is biblical unity? Does, does it mean we all have the same haircut? We all wear the, wear the same colored shirts? Is that what, uni, what, what, what we're supposed to unify around? No, it's unity of the faith. We're to think on truth. And the, and the knowledge of the Son of God. Unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. As we learn more about our wonderful Creator and Savior, Redeemer, we grow unified to each other as we, we unify around the truth. That is Christian unity. And it'd be nice to have more of that. Sometimes there's difficulties, we know that. To mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, here's one of the great benefits of spiritual growth, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. There's a lot of deceitful schemes in the world today. A great benefit of growing closer to our Lord and Savior, increasing our unity around the knowledge, around our beliefs, the knowledge of the Son of God, the benefits are we're not going to be tossed to and fro by all these ideas that are out there today. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So there's a little bit about spiritual growth. So now we can, we can switch gears and, but we, we still want to think of these, these other topics, biblical creation and science, under the umbrella of, in the context of, our spiritual growth. 
and you're, you're maybe still not getting it. Okay, I don't, I don't, I don't get the connection. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll keep adding to this here, and we'll see this, this connection here shortly, I hope. Let's go back just for a second to Ephesians 4, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. You know what? Evolution in millions of years is a massive deceitful scheme. And you might be thinking, is it? Is, is it really? And this deceitful scheme is having a devastating effect on churchgoers. And, and we, we, we have some challenges in the church today. There's been surveys done of the percentage of young people leaving the church, children leaving the church, because of, I think it's related to this issue. And I'll, I'll build on that idea here uh, a little while, but you might be familiar with some of these surveys. George Barna, back in 2006, Barna Research Group down in the States, they did a survey. 61% of 20-somethings, he says, will leave the church. Well over half. Isn't that incredible? Like a bad incredible. Well over half. And these, these are kids that grow up in Christian homes. they got Christian parents. They, they go off to Sunday school on Sunday morning. They know the Bible stories. But when they get out from underneath mom and dad, maybe for the first time in their, in their 20s, they go off to university, things like that, 61% gone. Unbelievable. Assemblies of God did a survey, 66%, the same, same ballpark as the Barna study there. Lifeway Research, another group in the States, did a survey, 70% is what they came up with. They found that a, a percentage returned later in life. I mean, that, that, that's good news. The largest denomination in the U.S. is the Southern Baptist Church, Southern Baptist Convention. They did a survey way back in 2002, 88%. 88%, incredible. I was speaking at a church in Charlottetown, PEI, a number of years ago, way out east, and it was a PAOC church, Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. Now, that's a fairly large denomination here in our country. These, these are all American surveys. And after the service, the pastor said, well, we've recently done a survey, nationwide survey, in the PAOC. You know what they found? 90%. Unreal. If we can't figure out, as, as Christian parents and grandparents and church leaders, what's causing this and, and, and how to fix it, we're in big trouble. Right? And, and I think these results... So what's, what's causing these things? I think these results reveal a breakdown in the spiritual growth of, of primarily young people, adults as well, but primarily young people. Here's the connection to spiritual growth. You might say, okay, I still don't get it. How does that work? Let, let's think of different, everyone's at a different stage in their walk with Christ, right? We can think of different stages of spiritual growth as we move toward Christ. What does the opposite end of that look like? That might be the God-hater. Right? You run into these people on the internet, on social media, you put up something, some Christian meme or whatever. Um, we get this all, all over the place. We put our TV show up on YouTube, and we have obviously a Christian TV show that, that supports the Bible, uh, that kind of thing, and the, the haters come out, right? The all kinds, it, it, interesting, the atheists, they, they hate God, but they don't believe that he exists. So, interesting, but and you, you may be familiar with this. That's, that's one stage of spiritual growth, a very extreme stage of spiritual growth. And then we can think of different stages. For example, the questioning non-believer. Somebody who's out there thinking, and some of you might be at that, at that stage here this morning. What about this in Scripture? And how about this over here? And, and, and what about this? And how do we understand this? And did Jesus really rise from the dead after, being, uh, rise from the dead after three days? And questioning non-believer. 
The thing is, parents, grandparents, that's normal. That's a normal stage of spiritual growth. A normal part of spiritual growth is having questions about the accuracy of scripture. If, if your child or grandchild is, has suddenly entered that stage where they're asking you all kinds of difficult questions about scripture, don't panic. Don't think, oh no, little, little Johnny or Susie, they're, they're gonna leave Christianity, they're asking all these questions. It's normal, it's normal. Most of you who are more mature in your faith, you probably went through a stage like that, right? Where you are questioning, well, can I really believe that Jesus died for my sins? What about this? What about, how do we understand this? You're putting it all together, that's normal. This provides for you an opportunity to seek out the answers to those questions that your kids are asking. You don't want them to stay there, right? You want them to move on to the point where they know that the Bible is true. And if, and if, you're, if some of you are at that stage here this morning, get some answers to those questions so that you move out of that phase to the point where, yeah, you're not, you're not gonna have answers to everything. That's, that's not where we're going here. But you move out of that point, out of that stage where you know that you can trust the scripture. At least that part of scripture where, it's, where it talks about how Christ died for your sins. At least that part you need to know is true. So that is also a normal part of spiritual growth. And then you want to move on past there to where you become a Christian, where you make Christ Lord of your life. And then it goes on past there as we mature in our walk with Christ. The thing is, many people never get there. They end up becoming one of these survey results. What happens? They're stuck at that questioning non-believer stage. And there's all these questions. How, how do dinosaurs fit into the Bible? And well, I've heard science disproves the Bible anyways from my atheistic humanistic professors at university and Noah couldn't have fit all the animals on the ark and what about evidence for genetic change over time? Isn't that evolution? What about an ice age? Etc. 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 Those questions throw up a wall, a barrier that hinders further spiritual growth. And some of those questions never get answered and they begin to feel that, well, I guess questions like that are just unanswerable. There aren't any answers for those questions, so I guess the Bible's wrong. And, and they never move past that point. I think this is what's going on in the lives of many people that leads to those survey results. It's a breakdown in spiritual growth. So we have some challenges in the church today. We have uh, the massive loss of, of primarily young people. There's adults that leave the church as well. Of course, we understand that. So that's, that's a challenge in, in the Canadian church today. Christians are now the most persecuted group. Were you, were you aware of that? For a few years now, studies have shown that Christians of all the groups around the world are the most persecuted group. We, we don't have physical persecution yet. Uh, here we're not, we're not being executed for our faith as they are in other countries, some, some other countries. Christians are being killed for what they believe. Um, but we get things like if you teach Biblical creation to your kids, you're abusing your kids. Atheists have said exactly that. Teaching creation is child abuse. You're abusing your kids, mom and dad, if you teach them biblical creation. So we have that sort of persecution. It's not, again, not physical persecution. So we, we, people call us names, right? And frankly, we need to get over it. <laughs> in other countries, people are being killed for their faith. So we just, just see it in context. But there is, there is, persecution out there of a type of persecution. Despite all these challenges, and there are others we could think of, it's a great time to be a Christian. Despite all of that, there is a massive amount of support for our faith. Our faith is not a blind faith. 
it's reasonable to be a Christian. There's lots of support for our faith. There are answers to questions that hinder faith. There is a way forward here with these survey results. Now, many people question whether they can trust the creation account in scripture. So let's consider some of the evidences that support creation. Now, and, and to start with, we really need to understand, we need to wrap our minds around the nature of the origins debate. What is it all about? People think, well, it's a debate between science and religion. It's a scientific debate. You know what? It's not about, it's not about science. It's about history. The bottom line is it's about history. The branches of science that relate to origins, relate to where things came from, involve a mixture of science and history. And it's a lot more about the history than it is about the science. It's similar to forensic science. You know what forensic science is? That's like, that's like every TV show on TV nowadays is the same show. We, we don't have TV anymore, but it, it's, like, it's like CSI, right? They all start the same way. Da-da-da-da, dead body. Okay, all right, and then, and then, so then you do forensic science, right? And then there's the courtroom scene at the end of the show. But the, foren the, the science in forensic science is you dust for fingerprints, you get DNA samples, and, and there's, there's, a, there's, some, there's a knife laying over there, and there's some drops of blood over here, and, and a boot print running out the door there. You got a foot, that's the science, that's the data. And then you make up a story that fits the data, right? The, the butler did it. The maid did it. And, and there, there can be many different stories, many different histories, and some will fit the data better than others. That, and then you have the courtroom scene at the end of the show where the lawyers get up and they, they argue this way. or they, they interpret exactly the same data in completely different ways. They, they put a completely different history on the data. That's forensic science. And that's a lot like paleontology, geology, cosmology, those kinds of things. Very similar to forensic science. It's important to understand that it's such an important point to understand the nature of the origins debate. Take, uh, take paleontology, for example, fossils. When scientists find fossils, they don't come with little labels on them like this that say, hi, I'm 75 million years old and my favorite color is blue and I like to eat spaghetti and I like long walks on the beach at sunset with my sweetie, etc., etc. None of that data comes with a fossil. We could think of the fossil as the science, as the data, and no one disputes the science. No, no, nobody argues about that. Look, there's a fossil in some rock. Yeah? N nobody debates that. What's debated, because it's observed, it's an observation. Science involves observation. What's debated is what's not observed. Did this animal die 75 million years ago? or 70 million years ago, or 7,000 years ago, or 700 years ago. Nobody knows. That's, that's where the debate happens. It's not at the level of science because that's observed. That's the data that you see. Nobody debates that. It's what you can't see. It's the history that nobody saw. That's where the debate happens, just like forensic science. It's similar to forensic science. It's a battle at a foundational level between two different histories. A battle between two different histories. We can summarize those histories, creation versus evolution, that kind of thing. The evolutionary history starts about 13.8, 13.7 billion years ago with cosmic evolution, Big Bang. And then about 4.6 billion years ago, you have a hot molten Earth. Then it cools down over millions of years, eventually you get water, and the first life 
chemical evolution, abiogenesis. Then that first living cell goes on to develop into all the life we see on the planet today, biological evolution. And the final step, human evolution from an ape-like ancestor. That's one version of history. The Bible describes a different version of history. God creates one, two, three, four, five, six. Then at the end of that, here's a key event in the history of the universe. God describes his initial creation as very good. Initially, the creation was very good. Is the creation very good today? No. <laughs> it was snowing a little bit this morning when I was <laughs> driving here from Brandon. But no, it's, it, it was very good. And now we have, we have, uh, we have what, what's called moral evil. That's evil people doing evil things. And, and we all contribute to that as, as sinners, unfortunately. And then there's what's called natural evil. Earthquakes, tsunamis, diseases like cancer and, and terrible things that cause pain and kill people. So what happened to God's very good creation? This happened. Adam sinned. And that made Apple computers. Or, no, Adam sinned. And that, I'm a PC guy, right? So, I don't know if you have Apple back there. No, it's PCs too, right? Great. So, Adam's, that was a, that's a major event in the history of the universe. That's the transition point between very good and the world we see around us today. Not very good. Major event in the history of the universe. Then, then history moves on. Genesis 6 to 9, we read about a global flood dramatically reshaping the surface of the planet, rebooting the whole human population, rebooting from eight people, started all over again. And then many years after that, we get to the central events of the whole history of the universe, the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. All of history hinges on that event there. 2019, our, our calendar is, uh, is supposed to be based on the, the birth of Christ. A few years off there, but... So there's a different history than the one above it. And if we wanted to put dates on, on this one, we, we put a starting date of 13.8 billion, uh, years ago on the other one. Well, when did this one start? You know what? This one started around 4,000 BC. And if, if this is the first time you've heard that, you're likely thinking, no, it didn't. Because that's what I thought the first time I heard that. I thought, that's ridiculous. Everybody knows the earth is millions of years old. And as odd as that sounds, there have been an amazing number of scientists and historians and archaeologists and researchers who've undertaken to do a study of how old is this earth? When did God kick the whole thing off? When did God create the universe? Here's a three-page table of all kinds of people who've used different source material there to come up with a creation date. Uh, quite a number of them came up with a date around 4,000 BC. You can see second from the top here. Here's a famous scientist, Johann Kepler. It's a name that might ring a bell, right? Even famous scientists came up with dates of thousands of years, not billions of years. Isaac Newton, he's not on this list, but he argued that creation started around 4,000 BC. So if you believe creation is in the thousands, not the millions, you're in good company. There's lots of other people who've come up with a date around there somewhere. So at a foundational level, it's a battle between two different histories. That's the nature of the origins debate. So how does the science fits in? How does the science fit in? That we can ask the question, when looking at scientific data, which history fits best? Which history fits the scientific observations the best? Biblical history or the evolutionary history? And, and we, can, uh, we can turn this into a bit of a game. It's, like we can, it's like, a, like a game show. Which history fits best? Actually, we've done some videos. We had a little game show. They're kind of, kind of funny. There's a 
two contestants and so on, and which history fits best. And every episode features a scientific observation. So let, let's do that this morning. Let's look at some scientific observations and see which history, biblical history or the millions of years evolutionary history, provides the best framework for understanding the observations that come from science. So you, we'll do a few examples. You'll see how this goes here. So here's a scientific observation. The Earth's magnetic field is getting weaker over time. Even, even taking into account, yes, it's flipped back and forth a number of times, but the overall strength is getting weaker. Measurements going back to about 1835 indicate that the magnetic field is getting weaker at about 5% per century. And that's confirmed by archeological discoveries from about a thousand years ago, those, those Artifacts from about a thousand years ago show that the field was about 40% stronger about a thousand years ago. So there, there's some scientific observations. So which history fits best? Well, if we, if we extrapolate that back in time, back in time it would have been stronger, right? And if we go back to only about 10,000 years ago, about 10,000 years ago, the magnetic field of the Earth would have been so strong that it would have started to melt the earth. Which history fits best? It's the history that says that the earth is not 4.6 billion years old. You know what? Biblical history. Cool. Biblical history is the winner. If you believe that the earth has been around for 4.6 billion years, so now you, now you have to somehow massage the data coming from measurements of the magnetic field decaying and, and come up with some band-aid solution for how the earth could possibly be around that long and not melt. <laughs> Let's do another one. The erosion of the continents. Rivers are like freight trains, constantly taking sediment from the land and delivering it to the bottom of the oceans. 24-7, month after month, century after century, millennium after millennium. The, the average height reduction because of erosion is about six centimeters per 1,000 years. Now at that rate, the continent should be eroded to sea level after only 10 million years. Here's the problem. The evolutionary history says they're 2.5 billion years old. Doesn't fit. In fact, at today's erosion rates, you measure the, the sediment at the mouths of the world's rivers, at today's erosion rates, if the continents were around for two and a half billion years, you could have eroded a continent down to sea level in that huge amount of time that started 150 kilometers tall. <laughs> could have been eroded down to sea level, given current rates in two and a half billion years. Which history fits best? Biblical history. Cool, I love being a Christian. This is great, isn't it? And that doesn't even take into account a global flood. Obviously, a flood would have a dramatic impact on the erosion and, and, and shape of the continents and so on. Now, this is fun. Let's, it gets a little annoying to the evolutionist after a while, but let's keep going. The Bible keeps winning, right? Supernova remnants. Do you, do you know what a supernova is? Supernova is a star that's exploded. Oh, oh you know. Okay, great. <laughs> a, star, a supernova remnant is what's left over, the leftover gas and dust of, of, the, of the, uh, the star after it's blown up. And often, uh, they, they often make beautiful objects in space. They're illuminated by surrounding stars. And you see some of these pictures here on the Hubble Space Telescope website. There's another one there, a supernova remnant. And we can, we can use those to, to sort of make predictions about how many of them we should see in our own galaxy. Looking just at our own galaxy, there are different stages of supernova remnants. The third stage ones are the very oldest, very largest. 
And if we go with the standard, the Big Bang history, the evolutionary ex explanation for how everything got here, there are the predictions. If, if the Milky Way is on the order of billions of years old, there should be about 5,000 of the very oldest, very largest supernova remnants. But the predictions are very different. If the Bible's history is anywhere close to being accurate, the predictions are we really shouldn't be seeing any of those very oldest, very largest supernova remnants. Now if we turn to the scientists, okay, where's the data? What are you actually seeing in the Milky Way? Here's the data. The Milky Way is not billions of years old. Which history fits best? Biblical history. Cool. I love being a Christian. Have I said that already? Maybe I have, but let's keep going. Dinosaurs. Scientists over the last 20 years have made mind-boggling discoveries in the area, in the subject of dinosaurs. Do you know there's now more than 50 instances of soft tissue? that have been found in dinosaur bones over the last couple decades. More than 40, more than 50 actually, um, and, and actually probably more than that even. Soft and stretchy tissue. I showed you the hadrosaur when we got started. It's been found in other specimens now as well. Uh, blood cells and blood vessels. These are, that, that's dinosaur blood vessels you're looking at there. Different kinds of dinosaur proteins have been analyzed, including histones. That's the type of protein associated with forming the double helical structure of DNA. And little bits of dinosaur DNA have been discovered. But not enough to have Jurassic Park all over again, so don't get too excited. But those are incredible discoveries. Which history fits best? Now remember, the evolutionary history says dinosaurs all died out about 65 million years ago. Obviously, these ones didn't. Which history fits best? Biblical history is the hands-down winner here. For folks who believe that dinosaurs died 65 million years ago, now they have a problem with science. Because science can prove that organic tissues, biological structures like that, they rot. They don't last for millions of years. Incredible. Let's do one more. Canyon formation. You ever been to Grand Canyon or some other, other big canyons around the world? We were there last year as a family um, after doing a speaking tour across Canada from kind of Winnipeg, this area, out ending up in southern BC. Then on the, we took the scenic route on the way back home to southern Ontario, stopped by Grand Canyon. But um, <laughs> here's Bryce Canyon. We were there as well. And, and if we think about canyon formation, what's the typical explanation for canyon formation? Millions of years, right? Everywhere you go, just slow, you know, river erosion, that kind of thing. Here's the canyon at Yellowstone National Park there in Montana. And if we think about canyon erosion and think about rivers, well, we're told rivers erode canyons, and, and they do, right? Rivers do erode canyons. They, they take sediment out of the valleys that they flow through. And if we think about, well, here's, here's a big river at Yellowstone. Larger rivers with more water are going to erode canyons faster than smaller rivers, like this one, for example. And in the Bible, we relate this to the Bible, wait a, wait a minute, in the Bible, we're told that there was a time when there was much more water. Huh, okay. Could, could, that, could, that, could the flood figure into rapid canyon formation? Not the result of rivers 
flowing for, for eons of time, but something much bigger than that, like a, like a global flood, maybe toward the end of the flood. As the waters rush off the continents, you have a period of massive erosion there. Just imagine water, miles tall, and then, and then it's rushing off the continents. A tremendous pressure underneath that as well. Do we have examples of canyons that were formed today, not by river erosion, but by something way bigger than a river? Yes, we do. Here's a canyon. It's about 600 feet across and 150 feet deep. Not, not a very big canyon, but still. This one was not caused by river erosion. There is a little river. It might not even be able to see it from the back, but there is a little river running down the middle of the canyon. That canyon didn't take 1,000 years or 100 years or 10 years or one year. It was formed in a day. That's a one-day canyon. 600 feet across, 150 feet deep, one day. Not from river erosion. What happened here? This is a picture from the base of Mount St. Helens in southern Washington state. Mount St. Helens is a volcano. What happened was the volcano erupted, there was ice and snow up on top of the mountain, that melted very quickly, and that produced a mud flow that came through this area, twice highway speed, carving out that canyon in about a day. And if a little mud flow can do interesting things like this, what might a global flood do? Could we get canyons like Bryce Canyon and Grand Canyon if that was a drainage of, of massive amounts of water? Very interesting. And also note that the river formed after the canyon. Today we think rivers cause canyons, but here it was the canyon that caused the river. It's, it's the reason there's a river there is because when it rains, the rainwater collects in the canyon and it forms a river. But the river had nothing to do with the formation of this canyon. If you look at the sidewalls of this canyon, see that layer between the yellow dotted lines there? That's about 15 feet thick or so. That was laid down in about three hours on June 12, 1980, again as a result of an eruption of the volcano. What blue geologists minds is when they had a close-up view of that layer. Here's a close-up view. Look at that fine layering. Some of those just millimeters thick. Geologists are used to thinking of those layers as maybe one or two of them being deposited a year, like a pair of layers a year. And yet here's dozens of layers in just a few inches in a sequence that was deposited in three hours. It's incredible, some of the things that happened around Mount St. Helens that, that help us maybe conceptualize a little bit more about what a flood might be capable of on, on a much larger scale. The more we study canyons like Grand Canyon, Kings Canyon in Australia, many other canyons, the flood is a much superior explanation for canyon formation rather than river erosion. There's even a DVD, actually I think I'm all out of them, uh, rafting the canyon. I went whitewater rafting for five days down the Colorado River through Grand Canyon, sleeping up beside the river underneath the stars at night. Incredible. Some of the biggest whitewater in the world. And I was there with creation geologists and paleontologists, PhD scientists. And we were studying the evidence in the canyon for rapid deposition of the layers that you see exposed there and rapid erosion of the canyon in, in a flood, post-flood type scenario. And guess what? The more we study Grand Canyon, the more we're coming away with the notion that that thing did not form via river erosion. The, the, the best explanation, looking at the structure of the canyon, the rocks there and so on, is something much more catastrophic than a river. It fits with global flood. It fits with the Bible. The flood is the key to understanding the age of the earth. If some of you struggle with this notion that, you know, yeah, I believe God created, but he did it over millions of years. And, if, and, and, and there's probably some, maybe many of you here are struggling with, you know, how could God have created recently? It doesn't make sense to me. 
The flood is the key to, to, to resolving that tension in your thinking. Because a flood would do very quickly what at today's rates of erosion and, and sedimentation and mountain building and continental drift probably would take millions of years at the rates we see today. But a flood could have accelerated those. A flood would have aged the earth, if you know what I mean. It didn't actually make it older. It just accelerated the, the aging processes, if you want to think of it that way. But let's think a little bit more deeply about these rocks here. There are things in those rocks, aren't there? Fossils. And scientists have found some very interesting things in the plants and animals in the fossil record. The fossil record is a record of, of death, obviously, violent death in many cases. It's also a record of pain. There's many diseases that scientists have found there in the plants and animals. It's a record of extinction, carnivorous activity. There's fossil thorns and there's fossil humans, very high in the fossil record. So given those things in the fossil record, let me ask you a question. And this, this, we're going to relate this to biblical history now. We want to understand the world around us biblically. So where do the fossils fit in biblical history? Where do the, that, that's a question. Where do the fossils fit? Now, the fossil record captured the results of a cursed world, right? Not a very good world. If we put a snippet of biblical history up here, where do the fossils fit? Well, the fossils fit here, don't they? There's all kinds of terrible things in the fossil record. There are fossil thorns and things like that. And a global flood is a perfect mechanism for rapidly burying things all around the world, producing the fossil record. It works very well if we put the fossil record there. You run into verses in, in the Bible, for example, like this. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you in Genesis 3. Thorns and thistles weren't a part of the original very good creation. They were part of the curse. So since there are fossil thorns... The fossil record must have been established after Adam sinned. And then we run across verses in the New Testament like this. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. So death came into the world as a result of sin. And the fossil record is a record of death, of course. If, if nothing else, it's a record of death. And so we can put the fossils there. That makes sense. It works. And then Jesus is nicknamed the last Adam. He pays the price of physical death for sin because that's the price that, that was rendered when Adam first sinned, Adam and Eve sinned, and the result was, Adam, you're going to die. God said, I made you from dust. You're going to go back to dust. So the first sin ushered in death. The last Adam pays the price of physical death on a cross so that we can be redeemed from our sins. That's the gospel message right there. And if so, if, if we put the fossils in there, that's where they fit, easy to understand. But there's many people that say, no, that's not where the fossils go. The fossil record was established slowly, you know, millimeter after millimeter, over millions of years. That's not where they go. They go here. Do you see the problem with that? Yeah. So... Then about 6,000 years ago, 6 to 10, if you want to stretch it out, just ballpark figures, God steps back and says, my completed creation is very good. Uh, no. I mean, could God call cancer, diseases, pain, violent death all very good? Of course not. When Jesus was here 2,000 years ago, he basically wiped out disease in Israel. He didn't go around giving people more diseases as though it's very good. <laughs> right? doesn't work. So if we go with this sequence, 
if the fossils go there, we have to sort of get the, the, the very good statement out of scripture. So it, it means something else, it's just a spiritual thing or, or, or whatever. And then, and then what about that next one? It was supposed to be because of sin. That was the transition between very good and not very good. But if the world has been not very good for millions of years, then what did Adam's sin do? Adam's sin, it really isn't connected to death at all. So you sort of have to reason that out of scripture. You have to get rid of that. And then, and then the next one, global flood. Well, if the fossils were already there, if they were laid down over millions of years, and then you have a global flood, the global flood is going to rip up all of the, the fossil record that was there before. So you, you can't have a global flood. You have to say the flood was a little flood, local flood at the time of Noah. Then why build the ark? Why not just move? You know, there's all kinds of problems that you have with that. And then what about that last one? Like, we, that's the central teachings of that's the gospel, right? The central event of the gospel is the resurrect, the death and resurrection of Christ. We don't want to X that one out. But in a sense, that's where we go logically. If you break the link between sin and death, back in Genesis. If Adam's sin really has nothing to do with death because it's always been around and all these other bad things, then Jesus didn't die to pay for our sins. Then that one falls too. By breaking the link between sin and death, the central teaching, the main teaching of Christianity is destroyed. If you work the logic through, and I've gone very quickly through this in the last five minutes. If you work the logic through, by adding millions of years and evolution into the Bible like this... <laughs> you end up destroying the central teachings of Christianity. This is not a minor issue. <laughs> if you get it wrong, all of Christianity falls apart. And the thing is, even atheists know that. There, there was, if you, if you get rid of Genesis, and well, there never was an Adam and Eve, and it's millions of years, we came from ape man and so on, millions of years, Atheists know that you can't blend evolution and millions of years with the Bible. There was a debate between an atheist and a Christian many years ago. The atheist said this. Just, I thought it was brilliant. Um, now that we know, he says, that Adam and Eve never were real people, the central myth of Christianity is destroyed. Now follow his logic through here. If there never was an Adam and Eve, there never was an original sin. If there never was an original sin, there's no need of salvation. If there's no need of salvation, there's no need of a savior. And I submit that puts Jesus, historical or otherwise, into the ranks of the unemployed. I think that evolution is absolutely the death knell of Christianity. And you know what? He's right. I mean, he's wrong. He's an atheist. But he's being consistent. If there wasn't a literal Adam and a literal Eve and a literal garden and a literal, a literal tree and a literal fruit and a literal fall then we don't literally need a savior. The atheists put it together. And yet we have people in churches, in fact, there's entire Christian ministries that are pumping out the notion that, oh yeah, we can just add millions of years in evolution to the Bible, no problem. <laughs> the atheists know that we can't do that. This produces a consistent biblical worldview. The fossils are the result of the flood. It just makes sense. Now, in order to have this, we have to get the notion out of our minds that the fossil record is millions of years old. And again, I understand that's controversial. I understand I might be stepping on some toes here. But the flood is the key to understanding this, this controversial idea of, of, a, of a global flood 
and the fossils being the result of it. When we have a consistent biblical worldview, we have a solid foundation for the gospel. We don't have death before sin and everything backwards. And we, we see that evidences from God's world support God's word. It's a great time to be a Christian. We're not tossed to and fro by all these deceptive schemes that are out there. There are answers. If we have a consistent biblical worldview, we can teach this to the next generation. There are answers to those questions. If we start with scripture and then investigate what scientists are finding, we find that there are answers. And that's part of the reason CMI exists. There are answers for those things. We want people to progress out of that stage of questioning non-believer to the point where they make Christ Lord of their lives. Get to a point where you know that God's word is true. We're always going to have questions about aspects of it, but certainly that point where it talks about, again, what Christ did to save sinners. And that is the foundation for what Christ did to save sinners is back in Genesis. So if we mix things up in Genesis, it actually destroys the foundation for the central event of Christianity, the resurrection of Christ. Get to the point, or get, get answers to questions that are hindering your spiritual growth. See, can you see how now, not when we started, but now how this relates to spiritual growth? We get answers, we grow in our knowledge of the Son of God, we, we understand the world around us biblically, accurately, and when we do, it makes sense. Fossils are the results of the flood, perfect, makes sense. Other scientific data fits in wonderfully. Now. I've gone through some of these things very, very quickly. I'm, if, if you're a little bit interested in getting more information, like, like with the stuff we've been talking about, I'm going to make some recommendations. My number one recommendation to get more of this kind of information is get yourself on the mailing list for Creation Magazine. It's a fantastic faith-building tool, especially for those of you who are struggling. Um, get the magazine. It's, it has had, we, we've had, we have thousands of testimonies, literally thousands of testimonies, the magazine's been going now for 40 years, goes out to more than 100 countries all around the world. It's a family magazine. We, we publish two magazines. One, one is, you almost need a PhD to understand the articles. This one you don't need a PhD for. We, bring the, we take some of the complex terminology out. Some of the articles are a little more technical. And there is a kids section. It's meant for family, not for scientists. So wonderful magazine, lots of testimonies. I think it's our number one equipping tool. I mean, there's lots of good stuff back there, lots of other stuff, but the magazine, I'm just making recommendations. I think it's our number one tool. So if you want to sign up for that, the way it works is it's $7.50 that's billed automatically every three months. We'll start an automatic payment. It's kind of like Netflix, right? You, you pay your monthly fees and the movies keep coming, right? And this is, this is cheaper. It's $7.50 every three months, not every month. That's $2.50 a month. That's a small amount. And for that, you get a hard copy of the magazine, you also get a digital copy to your email address. That's included. You can flip through that on your device or on your laptop, desktop, that kind of thing. If you sign up this morning, you get your first issue for free. And you also get a free DVD. So you know how it is, but wait, there's more, right? It's kind of like that. Can, can you sign up on our website at creation.com? Yes, of course you can, but you don't get the free stuff. So sign up this morning, get the free stuff. So anyway. The sign-up sheets look like this, and gentlemen, if we could start those around at this point, that would be great. What you want to do is just tear off the lowest one, and, and they're double-sided. Fill in the front with your address information, the back with your payment information, either from credit card or bank account. Either one doesn't really matter to us. And then just hand in the form at the table back there. That's where you get your free stuff, out in the lobby there. So yeah, we can start to circulate those around then. 
And as those go around, I'll give you a sample of the kind of information you'll find in it. Here's a cover from a few years ago. See those babies down there at the bottom? They're twins. One's black, one's white, they're twins. I was, one of the questions that people have, and this is a good question. Okay, if the Bible says that, that all people go back through the Tower of Babel, and originally we come from Adam and Eve anyway, then how do Christians explain the difference in skin shade? Just a good question, right? You gotta know there's an answer when, here's what the article looked like, a middle brown couple, here's mom and dad up here, a middle brown couple had a black baby and a white baby in the same generation. <laughs> Adam and Eve were probably middle brown. Noah and the population at Babel was probably middle brown. Genetically, that just, it, that just works out. From a middle brown couple, you can get the entire variation in skin shade, from lots of pigment in the skin called melanin, lots of melanin, to a little bit of melanin. And, and that's the kind of thing that we put in the magazine. Isn't that cool? It, and here, here's the twins when they were, they were eight or nine when that was taken, about five, six years ago. And they're, they're twins, it's remarkable. And, and someone asked, are they identical twins? <laughs> no. <laughs> that's genetics, that's how it works. But. Now, if that's my number one recommendation, Creation Magazine. If you'd rather have a book, then get this one here. I'd, I'd still recommend the magazine over this, but if you'd rather have a book, if you're a reader, get this one. Why this one, the Creation Answers book? Because in one book, you're getting answers to more than 60 of the most asked questions. Where did Cain get his wife? How did Noah get the animals on the ark? Where did the water come from for the flood? Continental drift, where did evil come from? Why are there bad things like attack structures and defense structures and living things? What were they doing in a very good world, etc., etc. The, the major questions answered in a single resource. It's our most popular book for that reason. It covers such a huge territory. Now there's, there's another kind of answers book out there. This is the Christianity for Skeptics. Now this is it's not a creation book. This deals more with other attacks on God's word and refutes those. There's chapters like, where's the evidence that God exists? How do you know God exists? If there's a God, why do bad things happen? Why is there evil in the world? That's a huge question. This book deals with that. Is the Bible really God's word? Is Jesus really God? Is atheism rational? What about other religions? Those are some of the topics that are dealt with in this book. And we've packaged the two of these together. You can save a few bucks. It's a discount pack, right? You can get them separately as well. For We've taken, in the past, uh, we've taken some, some kind of killer articles from previous issues of Creation Magazine and just made a single issue. It's kind of, kind of the best of the best. And it's, it's youth-focused. Are ghosts real? What about life on other planets? It's got that soft tissue in it that I talked about there in the T-Rex and so on. Great, great magazine for youth, for teens and 20s, that kind of thing. If you want to study Genesis in detail, there's a commentary back there, the Genesis account, if some of you are interested in that. It will take you through Genesis verse by verse, first 11 chapters, now, just a warning, this, this thing is, it's nearly 800 pages, okay? It's, it's huge. I mean, you, you could kill somebody with this, right? That's not what it's for, but it's, why is it so thick if it only covers 11 chapters of the Bible? The reason it's so thick is it does what commentaries do. It draws the meaning from the, the text of scripture, going back to the original Hebrew in a lot of cases, and we've put in the science that supports what the text says written by one of our scientists. He actually grew up Jewish. He's a Messianic Jew, but um, a great resource there. And now this is our newest resource. It's a small group study that's based on the commentary. You have, it's, it's a 12 DVD set. 
You've got, you've got 12 presentations there on DVD. You don't need to be a creation expert to run this in your church or in your home. That would be a great follow-up to, to what we're doing here this morning. A lot more information. You can slow, slow things down and go in detail. For those of you taking notes in your sermon books, and I apologize. We've gone, gone pretty fast here. Uh, this one I mentioned in the first service as well. For those of you who are looking for the science that refutes evolution, this one's for you. Evolution's Achilles heels. Nine PhD scientists blow evolution out of the water scientifically. If that's your thing, then that's the one I'd recommend. Or there's a DVD as well. Um, and, and then there's this thing. This is the Creation Library Starter Kit. This is for those of you who are, who are really serious or, uh, or, or slightly nuts. Um, it, it's, a, it's a very large pack of both books and DVDs covering a huge range of topics. What we've done with this pack is we've slapped a massive discount on it. It's over $330 worth of resources for just under $200. And there's some other packs back there, kids packs. There's DVD packs, whole creation seminar on DVD. But you don't need to spend a penny to get information. And I'm serious, this is, this is not a sales pitch. We're not trying to make money for the ministry. We're supported by donations primarily. We want to get information out and you can get information for free. I'm serious, you don't need to spend a penny. Go to that, that crazy long website name that we all said together when we started. There's 11,000 articles that you can read. Costs you nothing. You can read for months and not get to the end of it. And you can watch my TV show. See, Creation Magazine Live. If you get the Miracle Channel here, that's great. Um, but there's over 150 episodes online right now. See, you don't even need to read. It's easy, right? We try to make it as easy as possible. Pick an episode, pick a topic, hit play, and go make a bowl of popcorn. Sit there listening to us talk about this stuff. It's wonderful stuff. Biblical creation, science, and your spiritual growth. Can you see the connection now at the end between those issues and the value that those things can have for spiritual growth. A lot of people have questions in those areas and we can help people or help ourselves. Maybe some of you here are stuck at that questioning non-believer stage. You can grow closer to our Lord and Savior by understanding his word. And then understand, once we understand his word, we use that to understand what's going on in the world around us. Where do the fossils fit? Okay, okay, here, we got a global flood, we got this and that. Uh-oh, the fossil record isn't millions of years old. Oh, how do we deal with that? And you, you, you work through these things. You develop a Christian worldview. Spiritual growth. Oh, wonderful stuff. Anyways, I could talk about this for millions of years, but um, let's, let's pray and then we'll close. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you that there are answers today for some of these tough questions that many people have. And, and I, I just pray for the folks here that they would be drawn to resources that would help them grow closer to, their, to, to you, to their Lord and Savior. And, and more than that, Lord, I pray that once equipped, they would use some of this information with non-believers, with people who don't believe that your word is true. And as a result of those efforts, we pray that many would come to know your son, Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.